Well, my, oh my, with an introduction like that, I can hardly hear, wait to hear myself. <laughs> dear, dear me, I didn't recognise who you were talking about. Really is good to be here today. Uh, we used to live in Australia for a number of years, and so to come back even to the country is tremendous for us, but uh, to be here with you in Melbourne is tremendous. On um, Wednesday of last week, I was due, obviously, to travel, and I was coming with a friend of mine from the Ukraine, and we'd, uh, he was going to be the one traveling with me, and then he, he got to me in the afternoon to say, my visa still has not come through. And so I thought, well, I'll be traveling on my own. But suddenly, my little wife of over 44 years jumped up and says, I'll come. And so it's nice that Andrine is with me today. So that's absolutely good. She's actually a better traveling partner than uh, Sasha, who was going to come with me. We, we leave tomorrow to go to Adelaide because it's our daughter's 30th birthday tomorrow. And uh, we've got our daughter there, or one of our daughters, and she's got a couple of kids, so we'll see a couple of our grandchildren tomorrow. As I say, we've been married for 44 years, and got three children and six grandchildren. So that's pretty, and I don't look old enough, do I? Let's be honest. All in favor, say, I agree with that. Come on, I agree. You know, when, when you said something, I think you said, Charles, earlier on, that, you know, that the Lord counts the heirs even on our heads. I turned to Nick and I said, it took the Lord a lot quicker to count your heirs on your head than it does mine, and he's a lot younger. But there we are. Um, as Nick said, it was only actually um, one month ago, four weeks ago on Saturday, that, that I kind of stepped down from leading the Fellowship of Assemblies of God in the UK. And uh, when I did that, I went back and I started to tidy out my office and uh, I just came across this. I'd never, I've never read it before to any congregation, but I just felt I wanted to do this for you in case any of you here are worriers. Uh, I travel around a lot and I meet people that worry about things. And I came across this. I just thought it was good advice. It says, well, why worry? There are only two things to worry about. Either you are well or you are sick. If you are well, there's nothing to worry about. If you're sick... There are two things to worry about. Either you will get well or you will die. And if you get well, there's nothing to worry about. And if you die, there are only two things to worry about. Either you will go to heaven or you will go to hell. And if you go to heaven, there's nothing to worry about. And if you go to hell, well, why worry? It's too late. I mean, I thought that was, I just thought that was good advice. Why worry indeed? I, um, I'm, I'm carrying a message in my heart for you this morning. I am absolutely fed up of preaching and going and hearing ministry that doesn't carry with it something of an anointing of the Spirit of God that speaks into people's lives and helps to change either church life or helps to change individuals. And uh, I, I have to tell you that the weight of what I want to share is something that I trust is going to result in something of us experiencing God's presence in a very, very real way. If that doesn't happen, then in some senses we've missed it. So Father, help me to communicate something this morning that will just cause your name to be really glorified in this place. I pray, speak to Every single, per without exception, speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to read to you a small 
passage from the Word of God, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. And it says in verse 14 that when they had come, that was Jesus and the disciples, that when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus and knelt down to him and said, Lord, will you have mercy on my son because he's an epileptic? He suffers severely, often falls into the fire, often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Hmm. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to be with you and how long shall I bear with you? You, you bring that boy to me. <laughs> and then Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you'll only have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. We sang it. The second song, we sang it. And nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and by fasting. In order to set a foundation for one primary thing that I want to say to you as a church this morning, let us just look at this passage and make one or two observations, if we may. In verse 14, we're introduced to two kind of groupings of people. There is the multitude and there is the man. There is the crowd and there is the individual. And I want to say that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever the same, is still interested in the multitude and the man. He's still interested in the crowd and the single person. In other words, as we gather together corporately in this place as a church this morning, God presences himself and he's interested in us as a group, the multitude. But more than that, he identifies with each and every one. He knows why you're here. He knows all about you. And he has a word to speak to you as an individual, the multitude and the man. And a man approaches Jesus, and it's very important we see how he approached Jesus. It says he approached him and came kneeling down. Let me sow this seed right early on, if I may. That if God is going to do anything for any of us this morning, if it is going to be a red letter day, when something happens in this place, which perhaps we've cried for and prayed for a long, long time, it will only be when God finds an individual or individuals that are prepared to approach him in the same manner as this man here, humbly, willing to come, not necessarily to kneel down, but with that spirit of humiliation. Billy Graham used to conduct great crusades throughout the globe. And there used to be a song that was sung at every crusade meeting, just as I am, without one plea. But that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That's how we've got to approach God this morning. We've got to come just as we are, warts and all. We've got to come with our needs, with our problems, with our anxieties, with our failings. We've got to come with our strengths. But we've got to come in the place of humility, being prepared to kneel down in that manner that the man did on this occasion. And in verse 15, he makes an appeal to Jesus. And it's an interesting appeal because he said, Lord, will you have mercy on my son? 
In other words, this man approached Jesus on behalf of another. Mm. You know, it's very often that we fail to recognize this and we make an appeal to folk in churches and to congregations to come forward, to give themselves to Christ in some way. But you know, it's a far broader appeal that we have this morning. You can come on behalf of another. You can come on behalf of a son or a daughter that is away from God. You can come on behalf of a mum or a dad that is sick or ill. You know, and uh, there's no distance when it comes uh, to God blessing and moving. We live on the other side of the world from our daughter who lives in Adelaide. But I tell you this, as we've prayed on the other side of the world, God has heard and answered prayer on behalf of another. And this morning, it's a fantastic opportunity that is being presented to us that we can approach on behalf of ourselves if we've got a need, a physical need, a mental need, an emotional need, financial, whatever kind of need. We can come and say, here I am, Lord. Will you do something for me? Or we can even say, oh, my neighbor needs the Lord. Or my community, there's someone that God lays on your heart right now and you sit, realize, you begin to realize that you can come on behalf of them. Lord, I'm here and I'm coming on behalf of my son. Oh, but boy, it was a big ask. He says, you see, my son's an epileptic and the need is great. He throws himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water. In fact, Lord, I'm coming on behalf of another person, but actually only a miracle will do. I like that because for some of you here, and for some of your neighbors or friends or relatives, only a miracle will do. And as this man approaches the Lord Jesus in verse 16, we realize that he makes another confession. And he says, actually, I've, I've been to somebody else first, but they couldn't do anything for me. I've, I've been to your disciples I'm convinced that we ought to honor men and women of God. I'm totally aware for the need to understand that some people carry a particular anointing or gifting. But can I say to you that actually this is not about some visiting preacher from the UK. In fact, the message that I preach and bring is one whereby all too often the people that we look to cannot actually do anything for us. It doesn't say that they shouldn't heal the boy or the disciples wouldn't heal the boy. It says that they couldn't heal the boy. Jesus says the reason for that is because you're a faithless and you're a perverse generation. How long am I to bear with you? Hey, and then he makes this important, very simple statement. Will you bring the boy to me. That's where we're going to see the breakthrough this morning. It's all about Jesus. I preach Christ and him crucified. It's all about recognizing that there is one that is greater than all of us put together, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father on high, interceding on our behalf. Oh, it's all about Jesus this morning. And if there is an individual, if there is a crowd that would come and humbly bow on behalf of themselves or another and cry out to him for a miracle, it's him and him that will meet the need. <laughs> Actually, it's never the vessels 
that are all important. It's the message and the one that flows through them that becomes the all-important issue. I'll show you in a moment, if I may. Bring, bring your need. Bring your need, says Jesus, to me. And then in verse 18, it's a very unusual verse, with an unusual observation, because now Jesus didn't speak to the man, and he didn't even speak to the boy, but he spoke to a demon. Hmm. I'm not here today to talk to you about demonology, but can I say that I stand here as one that believes in angels? The Bible says that he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And if you've ever driven with my wife, you'll realize that God does that. Just a joke, just a joke, English joke. Let me tell you, there's more angels when I'm driving than, when angels, than ever when Andrean is driving. I, I believe in angels, but I also believe in fallen angels. I believe in a world that we don't often talk about, a world that is unseen. And actually, for every Christian, we are foolish when we negate to understand that our battling and our warfare and all that takes place is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers in a heavenly realm. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on even in this place right now. There are things that are happening that we cannot see and cannot understand. And so Jesus, now he comes and he speaks to a demon and he rebukes the demon that is in the boy. It's a, a legal term. It means to a judge. It carries with it an authority of the one that has the ability to do something about it. And we're told very simply that the demon comes out of the boy. In order for him to come out, do you know where he had to be? He had to be in. Demon possession's real. No need to fear it. The Bible speaks more about that than it does about physical healing. And we get all uptight about it. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus rebukes the demon in the boy. The Bible says that the child was cured. And, oh, boy, I like this. It says, from that very hour. There are some suddenlies in the Bible. There are some things that happen instantaneously. Not all miracles are instantaneous. Sometimes it is that... When the disciples actually, or when, when there were some lepers once that were going to be healed, Jesus said, you go and show yourselves to the priests. And it was as they made their way that they were made whole, but not this boy. Something happened suddenly and immediately. I tell you what my prayers have been for this morning. That we will experience some suddenlies. That we will experience... Some things that will happen instantaneously and that God will answer the cries of those that approach him in the right manner and there will be things that will happen right here in this place. Mm, that's what my prayer is. In verse 19, after this has all happened, the disciples, they come to Jesus privately. Greek word lathra. It means they came covertly or they came secretly. They came unnoticed, unknown. And they asked him a question, Lord, wh why couldn't we cast out the demon? Have you ever approached Jesus secretly? On October the 15th of last year, I was preaching, and I finished preaching, and my son was about to, to preach, and I sat on the front row, 
I was looking forward to hearing what he got to say, when suddenly I began to perspire in a manner that is unbelievable. I mean, it just, I was wet through. Pain shot across my chest. The next thing I realized is that I was in a wheelchair being pushed in a hospital with a nurse shouting, heart attack victim, heart attack victim. This is only the fourth time that I've spoken since then. I thank God that it wasn't a heart attack as it happened. But from October the 15th to now, I've gone through all kinds of tests. I've had things down. I've had things, well, we won't go there. And in the last five months, there's been quite a few times. I've gone to Jesus privately. Asked him some questions. It's been the cry of my heart. Lord, Lord, why, why, why? And so many things. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. God knows the tears that you shed that no one else sees. He knows the... The struggles that sometimes go in our heart because of a prayer that hasn't been answered in the way that you would want. He understands those dilemmas that come from you being able to not fully grasp why his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. He knows all about that. And they come and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do what we've seen you just do? And now Jesus, he speaks to them. Not the man, not the boy, not the demon, not the multitude. And he says to his disciples, he says it's because of your unbelief. Hmm, dear me. Verse 20 and 21, he says, don't you realize that this kind that we're dealing with here, this need, this impossible situation, it actually is only met by prayer and fasting. Again, I don't mean to make a big thing of this, but... Can I say it's not very often preached that true discipleship involves real discipline. That freedom results from faith. And miracles, oh, miracles actually, they're not in the tap. They're not, they're not in the vessels. There's something that can flow through that actually produces the miracle. I've set the foundation. I want to read you a story. Let me read it. Are you sitting comfy? I'll begin. Thomas Edison Lawrence was born on August the 16th in 1888 in Wales. He was popularly known as Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> The desert raids of the British officer T. Lawrence and his Arab rebels, they tied down many Turkish troops who could have been fighting in the British armies in the Middle East. And it was a classic kind of thing of guerrilla warfare. His personal account of Lawrence of Arabia has been well recorded. And some of you may have even seen the movie, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Now, it was during the war that Lawrence formed close friendships with many of the sheiks of Arabia. And after the war, he brought some of those sheiks back to England to show his appreciation for their support over the Turkish domination. They had a wonderful visit. Apparently, they appeared before the Joint House of Commons and the Houses of Parliament, and they even had an audience with the Queen. Some of us have had an audience 
with the Queen. She sends her regards, by the way. On the last night of their visit, Lawrence offered them anything that they wanted to take back with them to their desert homes. They led him up to the hotel room and into the bathroom. And they pointed to the taps. <laughs> they said that they wanted to take the faucets, the taps back with them, so that it would provide for them running water in the deserts. See, they didn't realize that the taps were superficial. That behind them was plumbing, a hot water heater, an energy source that heated the water, a city main that supplied the water. And from the city main went a line to an outside water supply. They'd failed to realize that if you took the taps, they themselves wouldn't provide what was required. <laughs> oh no, the miracle is not in the tap. The tap in itself cannot provide what's needed here. I can't provide it, actually. And all too often, we fail to experience the miraculous because we look to the wrong person, or we go to the wrong place, or we make the wrong prayer. Again, let me bring you right back. It is Jesus. Jesus only. Jesus, his words. Jesus, his ways. Jesus, his will. Jesus, his power. It's the all-important one is that we preach a Christ who has all power and all authority. And yet, after exclaiming that, miracle of miracles is this, that the taps actually do become necessary to get the water where it needs to be. I don't want to minimize the importance of the vessel. God needs taps. He wants disciples. In fact, God has always worked through human vessels. Hold on to your seats. You'll have heard this before, but I want you to get it. This this just blows me away. That God so wants vessels to use. He so wants people. He so wants taps through whom he can flow. That he's prepared to use people like you. People like me. It blows me away when I really grasp the truth of this, that God takes the most unlikely taps and people in order to fulfill his plans and purposes. That God can take and use anyone. Moses, he st 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 stuttered. David's army didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich and Abraham was too old. David was too young and Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus, he was already dead. 
John was self-righteous, Naomi was a widow, Paul was a murderer, and so was Moses. Jonah ran from God, and Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrier. Mary may have been lazy. Samson had long hair and Noah got drunk, and that's not all. Did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? That God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses because he's more of a father than a boss. He doesn't look at financial gain or financial loss. He's not prejudiced or partial. He's not judging or grudging. He's not sassy or brassy. He's not deaf to our cry nor blind to our need. God uses the whosoever. Hallelujah. Oh, God wants to use all of us. Like the old jawbone of the donkey in the hand of Samson. The crooked stick in the hand of Moses. The broken vessel in the hand of Gideon. So the Lord takes the base things, the weak things, the rejected things, the youngest in the family, the fisherman with the bad temper, the tax collector with the family uh, character of being faulty, the persecutor Saul, the harlot Mary Magdalene. And he changes them and he uses them. He comes amongst us today and Jesus says, I'm looking for some taps. I'm looking for people through whom I I can flow and bring my miraculous power. Hallelujah. What a saviour. He's looking for willing vessels. He's looking for taps. John's gospel says, He that believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Oh, God's got all the plumbing in place. His pump is hooked up. He's ready to pour out his blessings upon his people. He's willing to provide the miraculous, but he does need us to be his vessels. And I believe in many cases, the only thing that stops a move of God is the lack of a vessel. When Elisha was performing the miracle for the prophet's widow, the oil was flowing freely. And then the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 6 that it came to pass that when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. <laughs> but he said to her, there aren't any more. <laughs> and the oil then stayed. The flow of the oil stopped. Do you understand that the only thing today that God is really looking for is people like you and me to recognize that we can do nothing but through him we can do all things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why God's decided to use imperfect vessels to accomplish his work. I'm just so glad that he does. Don't ask me why the creator of the universe chooses broken pots, sinful people, folk like you and me. But I'm glad that he does. He's always looking for a man or a woman, a young person. He's always looking for someone through whom he can flow and meet people's needs and answer their prayers. But never, ever forget, the miracle is not in the tap. It's only the source from whom God can move. Remember on the day of Pentecost, God poured out of his spirit upon all flesh. He was, in fact, filling up the vessels. And in Isaiah we read, don't you remember the former things? Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. 
It shall now spring forth and you shall not know it. I'll even make a road in the wilderness. I'll make rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself and they shall declare my praise. Oh yes, God's looking for willing vessels just like you and me. You see, Ezekiel said that God was seeking for a man to stand in the gap. He's still seeking for that. When God struck Saul from his horse on the road to Damascus, he said, now you go and show yourself to Ananias, and then he'll tell you what to do. And in the book of Revelation, John informs us that God wept because he couldn't find a man to open the book of salvation. And so he took upon himself the form of a man, Christ Jesus, to bring redemption. God is looking for taps. There's one last thing that I want to say, which probably is the most important thing of all. That we must never, ever, ever, ever take the glory for whatever God does through each and any one of us. The taps are necessary to get the water where it needs to be, and God's looking for willing taps. But then all of the praise and all of the honor and all of the worship belongs to him you see you and I we're privileged to be able to allow God to use us but we must never forget the miracle isn't in the tap it's the source if ever the power supply gets shut off or cut off from behind the wall and the switch won't work and the vessel becomes useless and the tap provides no water it can look good it can still say the same things it can still appear as it always did but without the power supply nothing can happen do you remember in Judges chapter 16? A lady by the name of Delilah comes and she says, Hey, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And so he said, Oh, well, as he woke up from his sleep, I'll go out just as before and I'll set myself free. But he didn't know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. I'm convinced of this, Nick. And it's, a, it's quite a thing to say. I'm convinced of this, that in too many churches, it's led by too many people who don't realize they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And that which they once experienced, now they're seeking to do in their own strength, have failed to realize that all that we ever are are broken pots, vessels through whom God wants to flow. Romans 12 says, For I say through the grace given to me that every man that is amongst us is not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but is rather to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. No matter how many prophecies we give, no matter how many preachers we speak, no matter how many people we win for Jesus, we've never got to forget that it's God's anointing, God's goodness, God's grace that only accomplishes anything at all. There's more stuff that I could say but I'd like some suddenlies. I'd like, I'd like God to show up in a way that there would come a flow to any that would approach him in a manner of humility on behalf of another or on behalf of themselves for healing touch or for a deliverance uh, for some need, some great miracle or perhaps just for the person that says, Lord, I want to stand in the gap. I want, I want to be a clean vessel. I want you to flow through me in a brand new 
in a whole new way like never before. So that around this area, I will become that willing vessel who can actually be used to bring a miracle to someone else. Now, very, very, very unusually, I finished. And there's nobody, oh, if you want, you can play. I'll tell you what, let's not do it just at the moment. What's your name? Tegan, lovely name, Tegan. I'll give you the nod when to play. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something different here, and I've no idea how it'll go. I don't want anybody to bow their heads. I'm not asking us to pray. I'm simply saying this: that if there has been something of a pull from the Word of God that has created faith in your heart, and you want to stand in the gap on behalf of another or yourself, or you want to say, God, I want to be a vessel today that is used, I want you to be willing right now to get out of your seat and come and stand down here and allow me the privilege of praying something over you. Who's going to be the first? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this place, as dozens of you make your way out of your seats, and as God begins to move, come, come, quickly, thank you. Don't miss this opportunity. I tell you, God is in the house. You can begin to play something now, Tegan, thank you. Come right down the front. Can you touch the, touch the platform here? Oh, Jesus. Come. I'm going to count to seven, and that's the end of my appeal. There's, there's so many dozens and dozens and dozens of you flocking to the altar. Oh, God, I want some suddenlies. I'm going to count to seven. I want you down the front by then. Come and fill the altar right down here. God is in the house today. One. Thank you. Thank you. Two. Thank you, madam. Thank you, sir. Three. Don't miss it. Thank you. This, this is a God moment. I'd hate you to miss it. Four. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Five. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's still folk that are coming. Sometimes it just needs that in order for us to respond. There's dozens more making their way down to the altar. Come. Come. Five. Thank you. Thank you. Six. Thank you. Seven. Bring your need to me. Now you have a personal encounter with Christ. Not with a visiting speaker. You look to the Lord Jesus Christ to fill you afresh.
begin to look to the Lord begin to communicate to him begin to speak out your prayer request to him if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit begin just to perhaps communicate in that heavenly language we're at this altar right now it's the crowd but it's the individual it's the it's the corporate gathering but it's the individual he's interested in you sir he's interested in you madam the call of God is upon you young person oh bakasabra against pain in the name of Jesus. I come against brokenness in the name of Jesus. I come against an inability sometimes to touch you in the way that we would want and say in the name of Jesus, you will be filled afresh. Becoming a vessel of honor. Becoming a tap through whom the anointing and the blessing of God can flow. Receive it by faith right now. Receive it by faith right now. Somebody just shed your tears. Let them flow. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about me and you now. It's about you and the Lord. It's about you coming before Him. Bringing your need before Him. Come against cancer in the name of Jesus. Bustra bagaka. Heal, I pray in the name of the Lord. Touch, I pray. In the name of Jesus. God. In this atmosphere, I'd like the musicians to come back to the platform. Because what I want us to do as I hand back to either Charles or Nick, I'm not sure, but just in a couple of moments I'll do that. But I don't want anybody to move from the front here. Because you see, what did I say that we have to do at the end? We have to give Him glory. We have to lift our voice in praise to Him. And so I'm going to invite us as a whole congregation. I want us to go for, for that one again. Nothing shall be impossible. That second, okay, that second song that we sang, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And as we begin to sing this, I want there to be something of a change taking place. A change now of praise. A change of acceptance that God has and is working on our behalf. And as we begin to lift up our voice in praise, and as we declare it by faith, and nothing shall be impossible, then let's begin to fill this place with something of the joy of the Lord and the blessing of God. He's worthy. He's worthy. Have you got, have you got your mic? 
If you ever want to travel with me and sing, you want to hear my voice, love it. Pretty incredible. Okay. Are you ready? Can you give us a note? In a sec? That's right. Just let that lady alone there. Let, it, let God do his own work in her. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All kinds of things can happen at an altar. I can do Oh, yes. Are you ready? I can do all things. Because it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Impossible! 